Good morning and welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan, coming up today. Well, how to delve into growing your own produce. We'll be meeting the man behind GIY who gives advice to King Charles. What's your biggest design regret? We'll be hearing about what to avoid in doing up the kitchen. And you don't want to be disappointed with your renovation. And Home of the Year winner Jennifer Sheehan will be showcasing the most unusual Halloween decorations out there to bling up your home and no better woman. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here on The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent. Or email us at the home show at newstalk.com. You'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and all of our podcasts on the Newstalk website or on the app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, food waste is one of those topics. We've covered it loads of times on the show. But did you know that 127 kilograms uh, of food is wasted every year by every single person in the EU? Uh, and research from Aldi shows that bread, fruit and dairy products are the most common foodstuffs. And I have to say, I'm a little bit guilty of that myself, although a lot less than I used to be. I'm now kind of much more careful in my shop and only buy what I need, even if that means going out a second time in the week to top up. Well, I'll be talking to somebody in a minute who has always been a strong advocate against waste. Uh, but I'd like to ask you first for your tips to avoid waste in the home. Do you make smoothies out of the squishy fruit or maybe breadcrumbs from the stale bread? Do let me know because um, it'd be good just to have some better ideas for how to get around rather than just chucking it in the compost or in the bin. And I think the compost bins have kind of led us to believe that if it's going in there, it's probably grand. And you know, it's not really. Uh, So look, do get in touch uh, and let us know. We have a fantastic competition coming up later in the show and you will not want to miss the entry for that. So 53106 or the home show at newstalk.com. And you're very welcome along this morning. Have you been growing your own food during lockdown? Might you have to do it now to save some money? Well, my next guest is outstanding in his own field, as I say. Michael Kelly, author and founder of the GIY Social Enterprise, joins me now uh, because he has just published his new book this week, The GIY Diaries. Uh, Welcome back, Mick, to The Home Show. Hi, Sinead. How's it going? Good. Not too bad at all. Listen, congratulations on the new book. It's absolutely beautiful. Thanks a million. Delighted with it. Yeah, we had a fantastic launch on, on Thursday night in, in Grow HQ down in Waterford. So really proud to have it out there um, after all this time. You it know? is. And it's a lovely book, but actually it's not just tips on growing fruit and veg, although there's plenty of those in it. It's much more a diary with recipes that you, it appears quite personal, that a diary that you've written throughout the year. What gave you that idea? Um, yeah, well, it, it's kind of, in some ways, it's kind of um, a culmination of kind of 20 years of diaries. Like, so I, I always kind of do keep keep um, keep notes of what I'm up to um, when I'm growing and um, have been kind of writing, writing various articles and columns and things over the years as well. So, so I suppose it's a sort of a snapshot of 20 years of growing in one year, if that makes sense. Um, so it was a real sort of a labour love pulling it all together. And I guess the whole idea was to try and kind of give give people sort of, um, you know, lots of practical advice for sure. But also there's a bit of sort of a bit of my own kind of philosophy around food. And as you say, lots of recipes in there, because I suppose the the real reason for growing the stuff in the first place is to, is to eat it um, eventually. So recipes are kind of the other side of the coin. Um, 
I've included loads of recipes that I, from my own kitchen, you know, of dealing with gluts and dealing with sort of the, the veg that comes in from the garden and turns them into mm. delicious meals as well. Uh, now, it, there's a lot in it about, because we, we are in this period now of very, very high co- costs for many households, yeah. cost of living crisis. And of course, growing your own food is something we've always done for generations. Yeah. Um, when you're talking about growing from seed, and, and I've done it myself in a very, very small way, just with herbs and tomatoes and things. And I find the first thing I find is, first of all, how cheap it is. I don't think I bought a tomato since the end of July, um, but also that you tend to get, or or maybe this is just a myth, you tend to get a stronger plant than, say, buying them, you know, pre-made, like hot-housed and then planting them outside. They seem to just die of the fright and keel over in my case. Talk to me a little bit about that process and about the money saving, because you gave a great example of even just something as simple as courgettes. Yeah, exactly. The courgettes are a brilliant one where, like, if you think about the, the the cost of a packet of seeds is maybe two euro or three euro or whatever, um, and you get probably seven or eight courgette seeds in the packet, um, and they look like little tiny things when you buy them and, and put them out onto your hand. Each one of those seeds will turn into a plant which can produce 40, 40 courgettes in a season. Um, so if you think about it, then there's like four, you know, 280 courgettes potential in that little packet of seeds for a couple of quid. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting you'd want to grow seven. I think one or two plants is loads for most most families. But yeah, like that's a great indication of the kind of savings that you can make. And and as you say, you know, growing from seed is the cheapest way to do it because you're, you're you know, you can generally speaking, keep the seeds for the second and third year and so on. Um, whereas seedlings are that bit more expensive. Now, they are kind of, they do have their part to play and sometimes if if something hasn't worked or I've forgotten to do something I'll buy some seedlings but generally I try and do it from seed. We kind of estimated last year actually um, Sinead that you know a, a beginner grower um, can very easily grow about 50 kilos of vegetables and like we've obviously there's loads of practical stuff in the book but on our website on goy.ie we've loads of free you know free online courses and things that you can take to get you through that sort of you know, that gets you sort of equipped with some of those kind of core skills. And a beginner grower can easily grow around 50 kilos of veg, which would be worth about, you know, 250 to 300 euro. Um, I reckon, you know, I, I would easily save, I would say, maybe 1,500 to 2,000 euros a year in by growing the stuff myself. Um, now, I'm a bit of a bit of a nut about it at all, but... <laughs> I'm not suggesting all your all your listeners might want to go as far as I do, but um, definitely there's there's loads of money to be to be saved in it, and it's not it's not a pastime that needs to sort of needs a big investment to start or anything. You know, it's 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 a very cheap thing to do. The really the only investment I I think is your time, and that's um, you know I think I think once people taste the food that comes out of the garden, I think. They're, that's the sort of stickiness that that keeps them coming back to do it year after year, even though it does it does take some time, you know. It does, and I suppose, like apart from the obvious cost savings, there's no doubt about it. You're putting in a bit of legwork, but you know you you are going to save a lot of money. But the other side of that coin is: Do you think then, Mick, that it makes people a little bit more conscious when they are going in to buy veg in their supermarket? about where that comes from. Like, it can be really startling to pick up a packet of Manchtu or or beans and see they're from Peru or South yeah. Africa 
or China. And you're thinking this stuff, this isn't exotic food. I mean, this is stuff that potentially should be able to grow, at least if not in Ireland, in Europe. Uh, Do you think that maybe we could all do a little bit more or is it down to the supermarkets just finding better suppliers? God, yeah, there's so much (laughs) to unpack in that question. Like it's it's a massive, massive issue, like um, the the amount of importing of, of food we're doing. I mean, it's it's like 90% of the food, the vegetables, certainly, that we eat in this country are imported. And we're an um, agricultural country. I mean, this is yeah, what we well, do Yeah, well, we are best. an agricultural country, but we're mainly producing beef and dairy, like, let's, yeah. let's be honest about it. And, and unfortunately, our veg industry is on its knees um, purely because, the you know the price the price of vegetables in real terms have dropped by ten percent over the last ten years. Uh, all the while, you know all of their input costs, fertilizers and energy and so on, have gone through the roof, and so we're losing growers like wholesale basically at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, so I I think you know something needs to change for sure. We need we need to try and you know, address the price the that that pricing issue. Veg is too cheap, and I know people will say, well, look easy for you to say, but what about, you know, families who, who, who need that cheap veg? I don't think we need it that cheap. Um, it's It's gone, you know, the, the sort of price promotions have become permanent and, um, you know, the, the, the value of veg has just dropped permanently now. And it's, it's you know, as you say, like you, you go into a supermarket and it's, it's a United Nations of, of um of veg really from all over the world we 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 don't have seasons anymore really in our supermarkets um so i suppose like what can you do about it i i think that when you grow your own food as you say you get this you build this appreciation for 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 food and the value of food and the work that goes into producing that food that we we've coined the phrase in giy food empathy to to describe to describe that and it's like it definitely changes your perception of 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 the value of vegetables and 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 the value of of um you know the work that goes into and i i think it also really sort of, sort of shifts your understanding of the taste of fresh veg as well because we the most common feedback we get from people who start growing their own food is that like the food tastes different and i yeah. think it's it's that combination you said this about your your tomatoes before um you know, it's 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 the combination of the sort of peak freshness. I think that that you're eating something that's literally just just picked, and um, which which the sort of you know the commercial food chain can't match. And it's also then I think it's it's food coming out of kind of living soil and it's produced in a particular way that makes it taste better. And also you're you're using kind of older varieties and you've got more diversity and so on. So I think. I think that's the sort of key to it. And, and we do need to get back. Look, I'm not suggesting we, we need to go back to the 1950s or anything like that. But I think by getting people to grow even, you know, even a small amount of their food, mm. even if it's only five or 10 percent of the food they eat, I think we we have consumers then that are more food empathetic and the more, you know, willing to, to pay a fair price for, for their veg when they do buy it and, and um you know, I think they waste less food. They they buy, they eat more plants. They adopt all of these other sort of food behaviors, which yeah. I think are, 
you know what the planet and, and ourselves really badly need at the moment. Yeah, and I suppose when you're when you're growing your own because of the effort involved, you're less likely to waste it because first of all, you're only picking off what you need that day. But also, there's that sense of it took me so long to get here. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll, I'll plan my dinner around what I have rather than dashing over to you know Tesco's or Dunn's and picking up something that, that I'm only going to use. Isn't that isn't Absolutely. that the kind of it becomes kind of self fulfilling nearly without being. It does, you know, and, and you know you also I think our relationship with food has been kind of infantilized a little bit like you know we're we're sort of we're sort of half scared of it whereas I think over the over the 20 years I've been growing you start to get really curious about the parts of the plants that you don't normally eat like so for you know for me like say something like um um a leek or whatever that you that you've spent three or four months growing and then you, you know the, the the sort of convention is you chop off the the green bits and mm. throw them throw them in throw them in the in the bin or the compost heap or whatever, and you start to think well like why wouldn't I eat that bit? And the same with with Florence fennel, you know, you eat, you, we convention dictates we only eat the bulb. Like why wouldn't you eat the stalks coming out of that bulb and the and the leaves and so on? So you start to I think really. Um, you know, not only do you do you not want to waste the food, but you get really curious about the rest of yeah. the plant. You know, yeah. like the charred stalks as well as the leaves and so on. And so, so I think you definitely you're you're loath to waste any portion of the plant um, once you've spent that time growing it. And, and I always think like if someone came up to the to the veg patch gate to me and and I pulled a bunch of carrots out of the ground and they said to me, you know, I'll give you forty nine cents for those, you'd be like. <laughs> You'd be, yeah. you'd be like, shag off, you know, no way. Like the, the amount of time that went into producing them, you're just so proud proud of them yeah, and so yeah. appreciative of them and can't wait to eat them, you know. Indeed, indeed. Now, these days, of course, you're in an elevated um, sphere, um, Michael. You're mixing with royalty because King Charles, oh, yeah. then Prince of Wales, paid a visit to you in Waterford this summer. What was it like having that entourage in town? Oh, it was like it was like this mad circus, you know. He he wasn't king back then, unfortunately, but uh, he he was. Um, it was it was just a mental day, and and such a such a joy um, to have him here. In fairness, he's he's been, you know, walking the walk on on food sustainability issues for you know long before anyone else was was thinking about it. So um, he's a genuine superstar of this world, I suppose. Really. Um, so to have him here and to get him to kind of he, he spent nearly an hour with us um in Grow HQ and uh gave us um loads of his time. He was so curious and so so sort of plugged into everything we were yeah. doing. And it, and it um, is like it is right up his alley. This is what he does in, in yeah. doesn't just talk about it. Um or ribbon cut, do you know, that he, yeah. he's big into it. Now I believe that after the visit he invited you to his home, his restored home up in, in Dunfries in Scotland. Uh, he, anybody watching the repair shop during the week would have seen yeah. a, a visit and more sustainability, but this time with ceramics and, and clocks and all that kind of thing, would have seen people up in Dunfries where he has a kind of an apprenticeship thing going uh, up there. What was that visit like? Um, yeah, it was it was return. amazing. Um, it's it's a phenomenal place. I mean, like like he he rescued that from being sold off as as you do. I think he paid forty million for it a couple of days before it went to auction or something. He bought up the estate. Um, but you know, it's not it's not a flight of fancy or a sort of a, a vanity project. Like he turned it into 
as you say, this incredible location for apprenticeships in all sorts, like in, in textiles and ceramics, um, but also huge, huge focus around food. So, you know, from a, a culinary culinary arts perspective, like producing chefs, but also mm. on the growing side of things. And um, it's an incredible, it's an incredible place, mm. like absolutely um shows you what you can do when you've got plenty of money to, to do <laughs> indeed, these things. Indeed. Um, Will you be sending him a copy of the book, Michael? <laughs> well, absolutely. And he, he, in fairness, he went away with, with two copies, I think, of our kids' book for, right. for some of his grandchildren oh, and okay. so on. So, Very good. Absolutely, Very good. yeah. Keep, I wouldn't say we're best of buddies now or anything like that. <laughs> just yet, you know. <laughs> You're hedging your bets there. All right. Listen, uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on The Home Show. Now, the book, uh, which is called The GIY Diaries, A Year of Growing and cooking by Michael Kelly is out uh, this week now, twenty six ninety nine uh, by Gill. Uh, Michael, where can people find you if they want to know more about what you do? Yeah, uh, the best best place is the GIY website, which is just GIY.ie. As I said, loads of loads of free courses and um, tips and tricks to get people started. So I think that's the best, and you can you can pick up the book there as well if you want. Fantastic. All right, Mick, thanks a million for joining us this morning. Thanks on a million, the show. That was Michael Kelly, author and founder of the GIY Enterprise down in Waterford, and we're delighted to have him on. Now, still to come on the home show, we'll be sharing Ireland's biggest design regrets uh, when it comes to making alterations to your home. And we have a fantastic competition for a trip to Disneyland. Do stay with us. And you're very welcome back to the Home Show here on News Talk Radio. I am Sinead Ryan with you till the top of the hour. And before the break, I was chatting with Michael Kelly of GIY in Waterford and talking all things plants and kings. Uh, and if you want to listen back to that, well, then do so. It's up on the podcast, uh, which is on the News Talk app, powered by Go Loud. Now, if you're considering a home renovation, and lots and lots of people are, partly because of the cost of house prices and moving home and all of that, well, new research by the Panelling Centre, which is part of Builder Merchants Chadwick's has been delving into the top regrets and mistakes made when it comes to the kitchen, which is arguably the mo- the one you want to get absolutely right. Well, joining me now to offer his tips uh, is Anthony Ridgway, General Manager of the Panelling Centre. And you're very welcome, Studio. Anthony. Thank you very much indeed. Um, now, so uh, the, the, this kind of thing, like we're talking about big projects here because, you know, putting in a new kitchen is no cheap thing to do. It's no mean feat. No. A lot of thought goes into what people want. And, you know, you can kind of, you're looking at Pinterest and you're checking things out on Instagram and all that kind of thing. So you kind of, I think most people think they probably have it right in their head what they want to do. But 83% uh, of people say that the kitchen was the first thing they tackled when they move into a new home because, you know, it's the heart of the home. Uh, But half of them said it was their biggest challenge and it was much, much harder than they thought it was going to be. So give us an idea of where people go wrong. What are the biggest regrets after the fact. Initially, really, it's a, it's a poor layout. So you're putting a huge investment in and it's normally the last thing that goes into the house. And if the, if the layout's wrong, it's not a place you want to be at the heart of your home anymore because you don't spend as, as much time as you'd like to spend it with the huge investment you put into it. Another issue is not enough counter space. Um, people love islands. We do love an love island. Love islands, yeah. And the peninsulas and, and all. Yeah, <laughs> peninsulas are great in a big space, but a functional island, even a small kitchen, transform the kitchen um, as a prep area. 
you know, you put the bin on the island, you put the sockets in so you can put your stand mixes and do all your prep on the island. So you're not saying don't do the island. No, I'm saying absolutely do, do the island, but put a functional <laughs> island in. Don't okay. put something that looks great, okay. something that actually works for you. All right. Um, materials to use, do people go wrong with that as well? They pick the wrong thing for the wrong place? They might pick the wrong colour more than wrong materials. Um, colour is huge now in the kitchen industry. There's hundreds and hundreds of different colours. So materials, not so much. People like stone, um, so it's, it's an aspirational purchase for a lot of people. We offer laminate version of stones. What we see a lot of people doing now is going for, on a, on a tight budget, go for a laminate worktop oh, and right. then upgrading in a couple okay. of years. Because the worktop can come out and then be put, and new worktops can be put back in. The colour thing is funny because it used to be any colour as long as it was white, do you know? Correct, and yeah. um, for, for decades, the, and I suppose it spoke to that kind of cleanliness thing you know people want to look clean yeah. and white is a nice bright clean colour and all of that but increasingly now you're seeing kitchens like very stylish kitchens that have you know very dark green or even black, black. walls and then the yeah. granite and the striated marble and all that kind of thing so people are absolutely finding their feet when it comes uh, to colour so let's um, let's move on then to um, the, the tips that you give for avoiding um, kind of having these regrets or avoiding kind of thinking afterwards, oh, I wish I hadn't done that or I wish I'd thought about that a bit more. Uh, now, you're talking about the layout first. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, to me, kitchens mostly are square or, or kind of rectangular, but what kind of things should you be thinking about? Well, th- there's this thing that's known as the kitchen triangle. It's it's quite a, a buzzword, having your sink, your cooking and your refrigeration in a triangle all fairly close to each other but not every kitchen can uh, you can do that in every kitchen so looking at Pinterest and, and online is great the, a lot of them would be aspirational because these are far bigger kitchens than we have in Ireland so it's about trying to keep them as close together but you know having that triangle you don't be walking too far to the fridge to cut something on the sink and then have them go back so it's trying to keep it compact and I mentioned that island thing again because that's a break between all those yeah, um, and and it's a good prep area. And really people, good prep area. Now, so you can answer a question for me now because yeah. I I know a lot of people kind of they love having the island, but they're not quite sure what to put in it. And if you had the option, do you put your hob or your sink or nothing at all? Well, ideally, um, you have a bin in there and and storage. But with the invention I know of the downdraft hobs, so the extractor fan is in the hob. Yeah, you, you don't have to put the. I've seen those. Canopy. They're, they're they are kind of, fantastic. They are. They're weird, though, aren't they? They are. They look strange, but they do. They do a really, really good job. <laughs> yeah, they're sucking and the air down. They're sucking the air down, okay, and they push okay. the air out at the plinth. Yeah, they work better as a recycle rather than a, a ducting out. So you don't right. need to duct out, drill through the floor and out the, the back. Okay. So it works really well. That, that's a fantastic way. So then you don't have any head height issues. Okay, yeah. so uh, yeah, and of course your ceiling then can look a bit bigger, makes mm, the room a bit yeah. bigger. You don't have this big hood coming down. Although the hoods themselves, I mean, genie, Mac, copper and steel oh, and <laughs> people making a big feature out of yeah. them. Isn't that what the interior designers say? If it's ugly looking, make a feature out Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. <laughs> but one, one thing, and it didn't come up in, in, in the regrets piece, is extraction is way overlooked in, in Ireland. So you, you've got to extract the cubic metres per hour with, with an extractor fan. Oh, to I explain now? What so does that let, mean? So we, we sell extractor fans, Italian-made yeah. product. And the, the entry-level ones uh, extract 650 cubic metres of air an hour. So if you if you are, your kitchen's 500 cubic metres, then that hood will work. Anything smaller than that, it's just a, a, a tin oh, box making I noise. See. Oh, so you've got to get the, the, the dirty air out through charcoal filters and back out into the, the air. Right. Otherwise, okay. it doesn't work. Because with the invention of induction, 
now. There's a lot of steam, a lot of moisture in there kitchens. Is. I, I go with the old-fashioned solution, I have to say, of opening the door. But which which we recommend to <laughs> do as well. Open the, the door, open the window. Yeah, absolutely. Right, okay, yeah. we're all trying to keep ourselves a little bit warmer this this winter. Um, so uh, in terms of then designing your kitchen around you, I'm, I'm a big fan of the old bake-off on the television, yeah. you know, and you love these kind of the, the oven doors that slide in and the warming drawers and it's all very aspirational. But what are the key elements that you do need to... Is it worth making a list of your wish list, your needs and yeah. your wants. So what you really, really need, what you really, really want, what you'd like to have and what you could throw away. Oh, you as, see, as all that'll go in my sink. Well, there you go, yeah. <laughs> your needs are obviously going to be a refrigeration, your cooker, your extractor and maybe your dishwasher. Yeah, or, or the appliances, okay, yeah. your yeah. appliances. Uh, so once you have that in place, so give me some of the weird and wonderful uh, nice-to-haves that people come looking for at the moment. Well, the, the, the boiling hot water tap is a big one at the moment. Oh, it is, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, people love that. There's a, couple, there's a couple of really good ones on the market now in Ireland. There is, and there's one you can get sparkling water. Sparkling out water, of, yeah. yeah. It's, it does They're all expensive, spark- aren't they? Yeah. Expensive, yeah. Yeah. Again, it's something, but you don't have a kettle anymore. Ah, and, here. Uh, <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure I'd be able to sell that over the line. I'll save on a twenty quid kettle. It'd be a kettle, grand yeah. for the tap. With the price of energy now okay, it's so, going to cost you. So people love that the boiling yeah. hot, the boiling water straight out of the yeah. Tap, another okay? thing that again, not very popular in Ireland, but huge in the states is waste disposal in the in the sink. So uh, you know, okay. so you put all the, the food down. So you're not creating a smell in the kitchen by putting your. Uh, that's you know, a super peelings. idea. I mean, anyone who's watched American television over the years will have seen that kind of, everything goes into the sink and this kind of mechanism gurgitates Rise it Rise it up and push it out through Why the, the wastewater. Why haven't we had that as a standard in kitchen? It's very strange. I'm not too sure. It's just something we haven't embraced. But it's great because you don't have to put all that uh, peelings into a brown bin. Forget to take it out in the middle of a summer warm day. Yeah. Winter kitchen, fun and get a bit yeah, of smell Yeah, and you get those little aphids, those flies. Everywhere. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's onion peels and you know. So can garlic. you get that? We can get. Oh, we that, have them. Yeah, we have right. them in stock. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. You'd wonder. We maybe. recommend putting them in, but it, you know, it, it's a it's a nice to have instead of a, a necessary. Yeah. yeah. And again, they, they range up to seven eight hundred euros depending on the the, the the HP you buy on it. So people tend to. Okay, and the, the other thing then that seems to be making a massive comeback is the old pantry. Yes. The larder. Yeah. Are you are, are you finding that with customers as we well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's like more a double pantry with, you know, for, for holding all the, the tin foods and spices and all. It's hugely popular. Yeah. Um, but one thing I would say when you're, you're looking at your kitchen, everything should be coming out at you. You shouldn't have to dig into a kitchen press anymore. Opening so, and closing opening, drawers. Uh, yeah, and finding, yeah, yeah. Okay. finding something you put in yeah. last Christmas. So would you be a fan then of the open larder or the open shelving? Because I know a lot of people like the idea of that, but only when it's super tidy and everything looks the same. And if you get your extraction right, then it's because stuff is not getting greasy because yeah, it went yeah, grease yeah. in the air. Because okay. a, a really nice, well-designed kitchen will have very few wall units and it's a lot more shelving. Mm. One thing we are seeing a lot more of now is taller wall units for extra space. Okay. The storage space is a huge regret for people so I wish I had more yeah. wall units and maybe the stuff you're space. not using terribly often in my case like the pasta maker can go right on the top right the very, very to top, show yeah. off without me having to do any work yeah. alright um, now in terms of budget then um, Anthony like look this kitchens are expensive yes and it is important to get it right and to put, put aside the right money so what kind of things do people maybe forget when they're designing a budget that they should be including um but again, we go back to appliances. If you're, you want a functional kitchen, you're going to spend a lot of time in. It's wise to invest in really, really good appliances. The old adage: buy cheap, buy twice. Okay. 
particularly, you know, because a lot of people staying at home now cooking, steam assist is becoming a big thing for baking, even for cooking uh, meat. Mm. Steam assist is huge. So invest wisely in, in appliances. Well, I would recommend. 100%, okay, yeah. all right. Now, when it comes, if you're lucky enough to be at the design stage, uh, something that very often kind of gets sent by the wayside are the it's the whole area of sockets and uh, like there's a lot of plumbing in a kitchen, but we also use it to charge our phone, to put in electric mixers, to you know play our laptops or whatever, or our our kind of Alexas. Can you have too many plugs? I don't think so. No. Not at all. Isn't the and island perfect for the that? The island's perfect. And you can put a plug on the island itself. And it actually looks like a nice feature. But we're now investing in a new lighting system at the moment in the panelling centre where we have pop-up sockets. So you just see a disc on the worktop and the whole socket pop, pops up. Oh, it's, how and, cool. and also it's also a wider speaker as well. And it can charge your phone. So, you know, sockets are a huge part because you don't want to be dragging your sand mixer from the island if you have one or on one side to the other side of the kitchen. Because right, that's where everything. the plug is. That's where the plug yeah. is, yeah. So okay. a plug for nearly every wall, you know, I, I, you know and get, get something nice, get some stainless steel or copper or chrome that works well with the backsplash, yeah. I would recommend. And so where do you see now kitchen design going in the future? Like what are the big trends, say, that your customers are looking for this year? Well, colour is, is, is huge. Red is coming in. Green it, is, is now here. We've green, we've a couple of green doors in stock. At the moment, and this um, is for for um, cupboard doors. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right, now, okay. Dominic, you would would you put a whole red kitchen? Probably not. But we've recently designed. Oh, I know, I know. Interior island. designers who absolutely yeah. would. We've had them in on the show. So <laughs> right. reds, blues, greens. I've even seen some yellows. Believe it or not. Right, so the reds funny. are not so much fire engine red, but maybe from burnt orange to slightly under the, the fire engine red. Oh, so yeah, it's very that classy. kind of mix, yeah. Okay, so so coloured coloured unit. And how, do you think maybe they date a little bit after a while or maybe if you, people if, are changing if, if, their kitchens more often than I am? Well, they are. They change the kitchen more like seven years instead of, you know, 20 years ago would have been 15 to 20 years. So they are changing an awful lot. But the idea, if you pick something that's out there, it will date pretty quickly. We pick something subtle, like greys are still hugely popular. So if you go for like your, all your kitchen black, that could date quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing the darker colours starting to fade out already okay. with these other colours coming in. Right. Crikey, you heard it there. Time to to sex up your kitchen, as they say. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and get in that hot water and sparkling water tap. All right. Well, listen, uh, Anthony Ridgeway, General Manager of the Panelling Centre. Thanks a million for coming in and chatting all things kitchen to Thank us today. Thank you for today. having me. Now, as I promised, we have a very special bank holiday weekend prize you and your family will never forget. It's an amazing family trip for two adults and two children to Disneyland Paris. It includes return flights to Paris, coach transfers to Disneyland, three nights B&B in Disney's Hotel New York, The Art of Marvel, theme park passes for four days and... €500 spending money. Now, isn't that a fantastic uh, competition? Now, to enter, just answer this question. Who is Mickey Mouse's sweetheart? Is it A, Minnie, or B, Pluto? If you think you know the answer, text the word PLAY and then A or B to 57557. That's 57557. The cost is 250 plus your standard mess rate to play. You have to be over 18 years old. You're playing across the Go Loud network of stations and full terms and conditions are on our website at newstalk.com. So get your entry in by 10pm on Monday night. Text play and either A or B for Mini or Pluto to 57557. Now coming up, 
Home of the Year winner Jennifer Sheehan brings the ghoul to your garden with some of the more outrageous Halloween decorations out there on the market and she'll also be advising us on the best sofa beds if you've staying guests. Well, as always, you can get your questions in or email us at thehomeshowatnewstalk.com or you can find us on text at 53106 for 30 cent. Join me back here in a few moments. And you're very welcome back to the home show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan, and that was, of course, thriller Michael Jackson. There is no getting away from Halloween, and uh, definitely not when we have Jennifer Sheehan here, <laughs> who is Halloween Queen. Uh, Jenny, oh, you're very oh, welcome back <laughs> to the home show. And by the way, you can text us on 53106 or email us at the home show at newstalk.com if you want to get in touch with your Halloween tips or anything else, indeed. Uh, so, is, are you have you gone full tilt? on it Jenny I love it I, I, I'm going Shocker. to put something controversial <laughs> out there I nearly prefer to Christmas Halloween and Easter hear me out obviously Christmas wins right every every time hands down Halloween and Easter though you can go crazy with the decorations you can have you know you can dress up you get to eat lots of sweets and there's no real onus on your part to do things like buy presents or visit family members. I mean, <laughs> right, it's kind okay. of ideal when you think about it. And, and of course, the, the other thing is, of course, there's no requirement or expectation that you'll be in any way classy about your decorative no. elements. Although I'm positive yours are incredibly classy. Do you know what? Every year for Halloween, I say I'm going to go all out with the decorations and I'm going to go all out with the costume. And every year I kind of panic and I leave it too late and I don't end up doing it. So my decorations are three years old now at this stage and they are cardboard cutouts that I have painted black and they're those silhouettes and there's ghosts and there's bats and there's things like that and spiders hanging from my window. So I like the effect. Well, we're all into the kind of the old recycling because I there was news reports um, during the week about the waste, the plastic that's used mm, around Halloween, yeah. you know, kind of the cheap and nasty kind of decorative that you buy on impulse, you stick it up and then you chuck it in the bin. So yeah. so the idea that you're using cardboard cutouts is very sustainable. So we'll give you a point for that. That's um, why when, <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> themes now, like such as they are, like is is kind of more is more or should you kind of pare back and, and stick to the few kind of uh, like bats and witches and things. Are you ever going to hear me say pair back? You're never. Uh, no, you will. You now, never have. Will, I'm giving you every <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I will say on, on the on the kind of sustainability theme, not to ruin anyone's Halloween, I think go out and buy stuff, but just try to reuse it. And storage is probably going to be the issue there. So if you can if you can store it away and reuse it, then, you know, I think uh, let's not ruin anyone's fun and go buy fun stuff. So what I think looks amazing and what I've 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 kind of looked into a good bit when I, when I see the most amazing spreads, the most amazing Halloween theatrical houses, there's a few themes I think that come to mind. So one is really just commit to one theme, right? So try not to have a huge hodgepodge of zombies and bats. If if you can kind of pick one theme, like maybe it's it's alien invasion, maybe it's vampire party, but just kind of picking one thing and really doubling down then on that and going overboard on that one specific thing uh, I, is something I think tends to work really, really well. I think it's better to go for kind of spooky 
and atmospheric rather than just all out growth. But things like fog, things like lighting, skeletons, I think you can really go very far with. I saw a really funny example of somebody who had a barbecue out their garden and had a skeleton kind of draped over it. So that is creepy, but it's it's not disgusting. It kind of, you know, it's it's a bit of a step back from from truly growth. Yeah, I mean, I, like, you know, most people buy in a few sweets and that and, and whatever, and they want some of the kids to call but if you gross out your house to such an extent yeah. that a three-year-old is going to go no daddy don't make me go in there well maybe that's <laughs> maybe that was your intention but uh, you know you don't you don't want to ter- terrify the life out of them all right like it won't be long it'll be a hop skip and jump into Christmas so we did Halloween trees we were talking about them last week or the week before I think on the show and um, mm. it is a good idea to kind of it's a great use idea. and reuse and get a bit more use out of some of the fairy lights and things like that as well double down on your decorations for sure and the same thing goes for Christmas from next week you're looking at really good deals on Halloween decorations so if you've seen anything (laughs) that you really really like and you're like damn it I really wish I had done that for this year uh, from Tuesday onwards go shopping for it because they're all likely to be very very cheap in the shops Okay the one year I did actually do that and I was smart enough to buy a post Halloween decoration and it was like a, a four foot high witch in a, in a kind of a raggedy costume and she was battery powered. What I oh, didn't realise was that she was also motion censored. So oh, <laughs> during the night, trip to the loo. <laughs> I do. I <laughs> would set off her little Beetlejuice cackle. sitting on her, her wall. It's terrifying. That cackle yeah. when you're not expecting it is frankly it, terrifying. It really is. It really is. So she met a quick demise. I'm glad to say. <laughs> right. OK. Now, after all that Halloween talk, of course, do get your hints and tips into us about your own Halloween decorations and send us in a picture if you like to the home show at uh, Newstalk.com or uh text it on 53106 uh, Jennifer Sheehan uh, you will need a lie down after all that uh, so, <laughs> and there's my neat segue into what we are going to talk about this week and that is the whole area of sofa beds now this can be a bit of a horror story never mind Halloween yeah. because like when you think of a sofa bed your mind goes to nothing really much more than a camp bed with a thin mattress on it it's something that you're not you know you'd be a bit embarrassed to put house guests on certainly for more than <laughs> one night but they actually have improved hugely and they come in all types and shapes and sizes and price points so we sent mm. you shopping to have a look for different types of sofa beds what did you find? I found loads and actually I've been looking into this a lot lately because you're right, they're terrifying. They're uncomfortable and they squeak and they're just, they, they, in the past they were, they were horrendous. But I have a sofa bed just purely out of necessity because my spare room needs to do a lot and I just can't have a bed in there all the time. And I can confirm it actually is incredibly comfortable, even though it is, you know, it folds away very neat and the mattress is very thin. I've also been looking into, I've been camping a lot this year. I think a lot of people have with the, the world reopening. Um, and I'm currently watching the space, making myself a little micro camper um, to take myself and my dog off on, on more adventures. So I've been in the market for very thin rollout mattresses. And the good news is they've come such a long way over the past few years. Like most sofa beds that you're, that you're looking at now come with a memory foam mattress, for example, which are very yeah, comfortable while still being very thin. Okay. And so you're not looking at this huge, bulky couch that you know that needs to house this huge mechanism they can be thin and comfortable now so that opens up a huge range of design options right so you can fit it into the the you know you can fit your little mattress into the folded couch um and it just means that what you what what's housing your mattress can be a lot smaller and a lot neater so that is huge news for anyone who is stuck on space and needs a sofa bed 
Okay, brilliant. So the memory foam, of course, we all love that because it just gives you that kind of buoyancy um, and support at the same time uh, on it. Mm-hmm. Although I'm always like, you know, you can go over to Ikea and you see these foam mattresses rolled up really, really tight and you think, oh, that's fantastic. I'll be able to roll that up when I'm putting it away. <laughs> it's like putting a baby back in. You never can, you know. <laughs> but So it's always bigger. It's always bigger than it looks. Um, yeah. So in terms of the types that you get, so... You know, you do want to go thin, but you don't want to be mean with it. Um, the size yeah. is another thing as well, because this is a sofa and it might be that like the very fact that you're buying a sofa bed means you don't have a whole heap of room in the first place. Exactly. So you need to keep it neat. How, how kind of small can you go with, yeah. with a sofa bed? <laughs> so you can get single ones if you're really stuck for space and you just need, you know, a spare room for somebody to crash on every now and then you can get single sofa beds and that's really just a you know a, a pretty large armchair you can get a small double which is what I have so that's a four foot uh four foot wide bed it's not something you might want you know a couple to sleep on every night but for a couple of nights which is probably mm. the longest you want house guests anyway yeah and you want to encourage fine. them to go as well at some point so you don't want to make it too <laughs> yeah. comfortable for them right okay so four foot and like so that look haven't we got very precious um Jennifer because like for centuries you know, a four foot bed was a double, like that was the bed. That was the double bed that was handed down through generations from our families. So we, we managed. Although we have grown. We have got a bit bigger. We have. And I so, like to sleep in a full starfish position. So anyone else, right. you know, I understand why we need the king bed on our in our day to day lives. But for a sofa bed, that's fine. So that's what I have. I have the small double. It, it I can confirm it fits a tall couple comfortably for a couple of nights. I'll give you the best tip that I got when I was buying my own sofa bed. If you're really tight on space but you do want to go bigger than a single um, is to take the arms off the sofa bed so if you can buy a bed without arms you're saving yourself loads of space in that room because typically a sofa bed is it's probably not in the room that you're using most right so while you want the couch to be comfortable and you want to be able to sit on it it doesn't necessarily need arms on it so it's a great way to save some space and and maximize bed size oh good idea so you're not kind of hemming people in you know exactly. and they can sprawl over the side if they need to okay now in exactly. terms of um I, one of the elements that i think is probably important and maybe we don't think of it enough because we're focused on the size but it's how it folds out like the direction in which it does and whether you have yeah. to kind of make it up on the floor on cushions or whether it's on a spring-loaded mechanism. What, what, yeah. what do you recommend there? So there's two types and I actually made it, I've lived through, I'm, I'm speaking from experience here because I've made a mistake on this one. The first time, so when I first moved into my house before I renovated it, I bought one of those fold-back ones. It's called a click-clack uh, couch. And what that means is that the back of the of the sofa just folds down flat. And that means that your your bed then is you know the the length of the bed is the horizontal width of your of your couch and that might work in some rooms but it might not so just make sure that when you're when you're looking at the size of the room that you have and you're looking at what couch is available make sure that you know the bed as it's fully laid out flat is is in the right direction to your room so the the click clack sofa the back of it folds down flat so you might need to pull the couch out from the wall a bit in order Mm. to to get the full length of that does that work for the shape of your room? And typically, they're maybe not as comfortable as a regular, you know, full mattress kind of fold out sofa bed. Um, you can get a roll out thin, maybe mattress topper to put on those, but you just need somewhere to store that then. The other one then is the is the mechanism where, you know, you take the cushions off and there's a folded mattress on, you know, springs or slats underneath it and that folds out. 
And so that is going to fold out then as you're looking straight at your couch, it's going to fold out towards you. So the length of the bed is going to be, you know, horizontal or vertical against the, the, the couch. So if you're, if you're putting the couch somewhere, is there enough space then for you to pull that bed out fully? And lay it out fully in, in the room that you have and the yeah, space that you have available. It's actually an important thing because would you be better off then when you're looking at these is have them, see them out fully extended, measure them yeah. and then lay that out in the room in which, because as you say, it's not normally your best, your biggest room. So it could be a smaller yeah. room and you don't want the rolled out version to be right up against a telly or a, or a, another chair or a sideboard yeah. or something like that. And they're heavy. So you might be like, oh, it's fine. When I pull it out, I'll just, you know, rotate it 90 degrees and, and that length will work. <laughs> you might not. It's yeah. very heavy. So I would just measure the, the space that would fold it out. And especially for those ones that you pull out from the bottom of the couch, they tend to be a bit longer. You might think, you know, the length of a bed is whatever, four foot six or something like that. It's taking up more space than that because you need to factor in the ba- the back of the couch and the little gap from where it folded out and from the bedding and, so and people getting sure. in and out of it. Do you know yeah. they have to get into yeah. it and out of it? Yeah, okay. Measure now, and measure again. So you can put it in your room to test, but a brilliant thing to do is get a roll of masking tape. Make sure you have the full measurements of the couch folded up and the couch folded out, and mask that out on your floor and make sure that you know you have enough space still around it to, to get to, move to get around it. Okay, good idea. Now you had a look at specific uh, beds for us. What uh, I did. Tell us what you found. Of your I test drove a lot of beds. I've been jumping around, <laughs> shops, jumping on beds, jumping I on. Don't doubt you. So uh, I'll go from, I'll go price wise. A very hard one to beat is the Ikea Hemnas day bed. So very popular. Yeah. yeah. Very popular. It's, it is a day bed. It has slats for the mattress as well. So there's, there's quite a bit of added comfort and the mattress in it is actually quite thick. The drawback here is that that is because there are no cushions on it. So when you're, you know, when it's all folded up and you're using it as a couch, you are kind of sitting directly on the mattress. Obviously, you can cover that with blankets or cushions or whatever you want. Um, but, you know, think about how you feel about that. Your seat is is out. your guest's mattress. So you're exactly. not, yeah, you're not hiding it away underneath. Okay. Jennifer Sheehan, former Home of the Year winner. Thank you so much for joining us again this week on the show. Absolute pleasure. Happy Halloween. And happy Halloween to you too. And that is all we have time for this week. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, involved in the show, a topic, a question, a guest you'd like us to feature, well then do get in touch 53106 for 30 cent or email us during the week at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. And don't forget to check out the podcast, which is up on the Newstalk website. Thanks to Ray O'Sullivan for producing, Stephen McLoon, Peter Malloy on sound and Anton Savage is up next. Do tune in for that and stay, uh, stay with us. Have a great weekend. We're here every Saturday at eight o'clock and we'll see you again next week.